You're listening to Making a Living Show. I'm Roby Levy. Hi, I'm Greg Hildreth, and I make theater and pet portraits for a living. Greg Hildreth is an actor who's appeared on stage in Stephen Sondheim's company, on TV in The Good Wife, and on the silver screen in Wall Street 2. But to me and my toddler, he'll always be known as that summer-loving snowman Olaf from Frozen the Musical. Oh, and on the side, he paints portraits of people's pets. Here's my chat with Greg Hildreth. Who are you and what do you make for a living? I am Greg Hildreth, uh, and I'm an actor. I make primarily theater for a living. Like you build theaters. I build theaters. No, no, no. (laughs) Uh, I'm not nearly that talented. I, uh, I do something even more difficult, which is play pretend. Oh, that is hard. Yeah. Yeah. But you've (laughs) had experience. You've been doing that since you were a kid, I imagine. Totally. Yeah. yeah. I started, I started when I was like, maybe in like, when I was like six, I grew up in Boston and there was this children's theater company called Neighborhood Children's Theater run by this woman called uh, Michelle McCourt. It still exists. She still runs it. And uh, yeah, it started out as kind of like a hobby. Like my sisters and my cousins and I were all a part of this after school theater program. And then, you know, as we got older and people aged out of it, um, I realized that I didn't want to stop doing it. And so, uh, yeah, I, I decided to go to school for it. And my parents were okay with it. You know, it's funny. I asked my mom the other day, cause I was having this conversation with a friend and they were like, were, were your parents like nervous about you pursuing a life in the arts? And I was like, you know, I don't know. I, and so I asked my mom and I was like, were you nervous that I wanted to be an actor? And she's, um, she has a really thick Boston accent. She was like, no, it sounded like a really exciting life. I was like, kudos. Cause I feel like my, I mean, if I had a kid that was wanted to do it, I would be really, I would be nervous and I know what it is, but maybe there was something about uh, my parents not really knowing anything about it. And they were like, yeah, sure. Sounds fun. I think my parents are still hoping that I might just go to medical school. Totally. My mom still says to me, I always see you in the classroom. I still see you in the classrooms, both my parents and teachers. I was like, you know, like, uh, I, w- I would be considered a successful actor <laughs> by some people. <laughs> I imagine. I consider you a successful actor. You have acted yeah, professionally and successfully. <laughs> yeah. But she's, it's funny. I still always see you in the classroom. Well, does she consider you a success at this point? Is that how she regards this decision? Was this a good, successful effort into acting? I think so. I think my parents are very um, reserved and Catholic. And so I don't think they would ever tell me that. But you know, if like, my dad bumps into somebody at the grocery store, he's likely bragging about what I'm doing in New York. <laughs> but he'll never tell me that he thinks I'm <laughs> it keeps you, It keeps you grounded. It keeps me grounded. It does, actually. And it keeps me, bless me, working for their approval still as a grown <laughs> Aren't we all? Yeah. Does the audience ever substitute in for your parents in terms of looking for a The audience is 100% my parents. (laughs) Um, There's not even, it's not even like a small thing. Like that's what I'm working out usually eight times a week is is some applause from my parents. Do they come to the shows? They do. They do. My parents usually come to opening night, which is fun. Just for some context here, what kind of shows are we talking about? I, I know you've done very small roles. You're just starting out. Haven't really had a big break as of yet, right? I mean, it depends on who you ask. I probably, I feel like I'm still waiting. No, no, no. I've done, I've done, um, I was actually right before the pandemic hit was about to open my sixth Broadway show. Lucky number yeah. six. Lucky number six. Yeah, exactly. What, what show was The it? show was a, a revival of uh, Company, Stephen Sondheim music. And um, 
we we were like a week and a half away from opening on Stephen Sondheim's 90th birthday. And uh, it was it was rough. And I still think it was my fault only because I never bought a couch for a dressing room before. And this one, I was like, we're going to be here for a while. Let's get a nice... <laughs> it wasn't even a nice couch. It was from like Wayfair or something, you know, like overstock.com. But I was like, we're getting a couch. We're going to have cocktails, global pandemic. So it's completely my fault. So before this, you you were in small little indie show that uh, where you did some puppeting, if I'm not some puppeteering, some puppetizing. Yes, yes. yeah, yeah. What was that show called? It was little. It was called Frozen, the musical. Frozen, the Broadway musical. I'm not familiar with it. Can you tell me what it's about? It's about the snowman. It's the story of a young snowman. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but who did you right. play? But you played Olaf in Frozen. Yeah, I played Olaf in Frozen, and I was. I was doing, I was puppeteering this, like, I guess he was maybe about four feet tall, like Bunraku Japanese style puppet who stood in front of me and I manipulated him and uh, did his voice. Had you ever puppeteered before? I never puppeteered before, but you know, as a child of the eighties, I have always been uh, a big puppet fan, you know, growing up with the Muppets and Fraggle Rock and Labyrinth and things like that. And, you know, I I had puppets. I definitely had more puppets than friends in middle school and high school. So, so I've always been really like intrigued and interested in puppets. So this was kind of like a very strange melding of worlds and interests, musical comedy and puppeteering and cartoons. And, you know, it's like everything that I love. So you're a big fan. Were you a fan of the movie before you were in the show? Uh, Yeah. 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 I actually went to one of the very early screenings of the movie before it was released because a friend of mine, Santino Fontana, was the voice of Hans in the movie. And so he was like, I didn't, I was working with him at the time and I didn't even know he had done this. And he was like, hey, you want to come see this like Disney movie? I have a voice in it. And I was like, what? Sure. Yeah. Great. It was like so off the hand. And I was like, you are a major part of this. Right? I'm the bad guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I saw it very, very early on and loved it and loved Olaf. Um, so it's all, it's all been a very funny uh, sequence of events. Yeah, that had to have been quite bizarre to actually be in a show that you actually saw, liked. And I mean, it's, it's weird when a movie becomes a play. Like, yes. That, that's a strange thing. And obviously the, the, the show on stage took on a vastly different form. I mean, it had obviously yeah. the, the, the major stops along the way. The plot was technically the same. But it wasn't there like 12 extra songs or something, 13 songs. Yeah. I sang a song that was eventually cut in uh, when we were doing the show out of town in Denver too. They wrote Olaf another song called When Everything Falls Apart, which is available because we recorded it actually and it's on the album. It's on the Broadway cast recording. It's a great little second act charm number. Yeah, my my 3-year-old has made us listen to that record incessantly. Like really? even before she ever saw the show. That's like oh. why we're like this is Auntie Casey and she's singing. Yeah. You know, and she's yeah. like I don't care about Auntie Casey. I mean, she was into Auntie Casey. She's like, "I, you know, give me Olaf." Just, just hook me up with Olaf. That's what I'm, I want. I want Olaf all the time, Olaf. And she yeah. just, yeah, she was berserk. And so eventually we took her a year ago now, pre-COVID yeah. to the show. And, and she just loved it. I mean, oh my God. I, we couldn't believe a three-year-old sat down for like, you know, two and a half, three hours, just transfixed. Yeah. Every one of those shows was like a, was like a toddler rave. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they release snow at the end of the show. And these like kids are like looking skyward, like losing their minds it was a toddler rave eight times a week i mean you, you and now you do work outside of theater as well you're on yeah on tv you do film as well what, what sort of experience have you had in those in those realms 
I'm always uh, the two-page scene where the I tell them where the dead body is. <laughs> um, <laughs> are you the guy who killed somebody, or are you the guy who's just like, yeah, I think there's no, I'm a the guy, guy like, yeah, he went that way. I'm that guy. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's pivotal. No, Without I, you, how would they know where to go? Right? They wouldn't know where the killer went. That's right. That's right. Um, so I've made a whole career on that. Actually, it's really funny. This is appropriate for this time of year too. I was in the nativity play years ago, very long, very long time ago when I was a child, um, at church and we went to the, the signups for the nativity play and, um, we came home and my dad was really upset and he stormed upstairs and my mom was like, what is going on? My grandmother was sitting in the kitchen and my dad was like, well, he, he could have signed up to be anything. He could have signed up to be a shepherd or a wise man or, or Joseph. He could have signed up to be Joseph, but what did Greg want to sign up for? He wanted to be a donkey. <laughs> and I did. I remember being like, that's for me. Um, and I remember my grandmother sitting in the kitchen, cool as can be saying, well, how else would they have gotten to Bethlehem? No small rules, just small donkeys. That's right. And I knew in the final stage picture, too, I'd be really close to the baby Jesus. So I, I, I knew what I was doing. Anyway, but that's all to say in film and TV, it's been very, it's been like, you know, small parts. Um, but fun parts. Uh, I got choked out by Carrie Russell on The Americans. Nice. Um, she, she murdered me. Spoiler alert. It's in the last season. Um, which was really fun. Um, but yeah. Yeah, but mo- primarily theater. And, and with the TV stuff and, and the film work, is that something that you want to do more of? Or is that some, or, or is, is theater the first love, the main, the main goal? Yeah, theater is definitely the first love. I, I kind of like the immediacy of working in the theater because like we were talking about, that approval from the audience is so tangible and so right away. You know, I remember the first time I worked on a movie and I just kept thinking that I was doing such a terrible job because no one was telling me that I was doing a great job. You know, in the film and TV world, they just say, all right, let's move on. Next shot. That means they got it. That means you did great. No one comes up and they're like, Hey man, that was really great. Um, (laughs) They don't do the applause thing. Yeah. Yeah. They say, let's move on. So I was like 20 walking around this film set being like, I am a major fuck up. So, so I definitely like prefer theater, but the thing, I mean, I just, I like to work. So it really doesn't matter where I just like to be busy and I like to work. Well, tell me about work. Like I mean, you've, you, you've had, you've done a spectrum. If you're telling people, Hey, they get the murderers over there. And on the flip side, you turn around and you, you go and hop on stage as a puppet. And then you yeah. are, are in, I don't know. You were in the good wife. I've watched that series. Yeah. 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 I was on the good. Wife. Like you, you, you've got quite a, a range here, quite a spectrum of things that you're, you're involved in. Like where do you get inspiration from? What motivates you to try and do all of these different types of things? That's a great question. Uh, I mean, I get inspiration from lots of different places. I get inspiration from my friends and my peers, um, you know, people I like to hang out with that I find kind of stimulating. Uh, I'm really stimulated by visual art. I'm really stimulated by music, by food uh, and cooking. So I don't know. I think I think I've been really lucky to have been born into the body that I have been born into uh, only because I, I say that as like a person who has like slowly had to come to terms with being a character actor. And when I, if you asked me when I was like 20, if I liked that at all, I would be like, hell no, I want to be a leading man. I'm like surrounded by like, you know, the handsome dudes in school playing leading men. And I was always playing like the uncle or a tree 
And I hated it when I was younger, but now the more I work and the older I get, the more I'm like, oh, there's some, there's some longevity here, which is really reassuring. And that's all to say, like, I am privileged enough to, to be born into this kind of an actor body <laughs> where I, I get to do a, a great variety of, of many different things. And, um, you know, I, I really always like to be challenged. So, so I'm attracted to things like that as well. I'm, I'm never, I don't like love feeling comfortable. I get bored really easily. I kind of have ADD. So it's like, <clears throat> so I'm like, Oh, cool. A couple scenes on a good web. Yeah, sure. I'll be there. Yeah. 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 Um, and this is like kind of assume kind of saying like that any of this has been up to me. It's really been more, cha- my, my career in gigantic quotations has been really more chaotic than it has uh, measured and uh, uh, thought through. <laughs> it's yeah, it hasn't like followed a, a direct path or one that you've no, put no. in place, right? Yeah, yeah. It's it's really it's been it continues to be a smash and grab. I always think about the amount of work that goes into preparing, not just for roles, yeah. but preparing to take advantage of opportunities. And I always think of, of, of actors as being the people that need to always stay on their game. They have to stay fit. They have to stay healthy. They have to stay um, on top of their talents and, and continue to refine them and add to them. You know, it, it, because when that opportunity comes, you want to be the one who's able to do it as opposed to the one right. who almost got it. Right. And for me, the thing that keeps me in shape like that is working. So like... I don't know. I feel like young people ask me a lot of the time, like what's the greatest advice you could ever give? And I mean, the first thing I always say is be on time because I'm, tw- I'm the guy that's like obnoxiously early, like 20 minutes early. I was like, it's a really easy way of letting people know you give a shit basically. Um, but the other thing I say is like, when you're, when you're graduating from school, when you're young, say yes to everything. You don't know, you don't know anything enough to have an opinion to say no. So say yes to literally everything. And then I was like, you will, you will slowly start to know when it's time to say no. I mean, like when I first moved to the city, I mean, aside from having a, like a 40 hour a week restaurant job, I was working, taking reservations um, for Keith McNally's restaurants. He owns Balthazar Pastis, what used to be Schiller's, the Minetta Tavern. He owns these like big restaurants and I was answering the phone nine to five, like all day. <clears throat> and then I would go do plays in basements at night. You know, I did like a, a holiday musical review at Don't Tell Mama where I played Ethel Merman in drag <laughs> playing the ukulele like places. Cause I, you know, I went to like an, I went to like an acting conservatory. Like I studied like the classics and like <laughs> Ibsen and John Chekhov and Shakespeare and, and Ethel Merman in drag. <laughs> totally. Yeah. They all, they, they dovetail nicely. Yeah. That's all, I mean, I mean, they do live kind of close together in a spring <laughs> or at least my Ethel, my Ethel Merman was informed by, Jacobean tragedy and you know but you know if you had asked me like my senior year in college like did you think you'd be playing like have a turban on and a skirt playing a ukulele for a couple of drunks I'd be like no I, I'll be doing uh, you know the three sisters somewhere I think with a British accent um, I just invented <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, um, but I came quickly to I came quickly to realize that nothing is below me and I still kind of operate that way too I feel like I'm always saying yeah, I find that in for myself as well. Like I, I found I was very judgmental actually of other of, of other people's projects. If it wasn't excellent, I was like, ah, you know, like I can take it down a peg or two. Yeah. As I've gotten older and I really have gotten to work and I've gotten to, you know, to, to put together a film, put together a, a commercial or a video, you realize how bloody hard it is to get anything made. 
and you yeah. realize that everybody's in it to make something good. Whether or not it turns out well or not is, you know, not because anybody intended to make crap. Right. They intended to make something excellent and they worked their asses off to get it. So I, I kind of applaud the effort. I applaud the ability to actually get it to the point where someone else is seeing it other than just you. And it's always just yeah. really impressive when people, you know, there's merit in all of these, these endeavors. Yeah. Kind of regardless, you know. So yeah, it's kind of nice to have a little bit of perspective that way. Right. But then also like looking back, it gives some semblance of like, like a person like you can be like, wow, what an amazing career you had. And I'm like, have I, I've just been like running like a maniac and you know, like, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like anybody's career is kind of an illusion. It's like, yeah. I mean, that kind of makes sense. Like, you know, and especially to that person, right? Like you've just lived your life. Your life is yeah. what it is. I mean, whether or not you can look back on a bunch of money in a bank account or whether or not you can look on a shelf and see a bunch of awards. Very few people have both of those things. Most people have a body of work that's behind them and a, and a bunch of experiences that define them and yeah. that they can look back and say, oh, you know, at least I was interesting. You know, at least yeah. I did something with my time that I'm pleased with. Yeah. You know, and so th those other things are just nice. That's, that's, that's the recognition, maybe the parental recognition and the clapping of the hands and stuff. But, <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with it, uh, you know, with a big bag of money. Don't get me wrong, you know, swimming around in a, <laughs> you know, a pool filled with diamonds. But that's, that happens to very few people. And, you know, it, it's always really interesting to see that regardless of that, there's so many people that can find such happiness in their artistic endeavors and in their work, you know, and in their careers. And it's kind of yeah. funny to do a check-in like this, that sometimes with the show, I laugh because people aren't used to taking a, a little bit of stock of the extraordinary things they have done to this point, yeah. you know? So it's a, it can be a bit of a treat. And I think the more I work too, and the more I live my life, like I think I had a very early perception that like this career was going to be linear in some way, you know, that it was going to just be like a straight line. But the more I live, the more I'm like, oh, it's a circle. And you keep coming back to the same kind of spot in the circle. And you're like, oh, I just kind of, it's not a line at all. There's no, no one's getting anywhere. Like <laughs> <laughs> there's no real destination. Yeah. 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 It's the big merry-go-round. Yeah. Well, yeah. so how do you deal with that? I mean, what was that realization like? Did something happen that sort of brought that to you? I think I just, I didn't work for three years. How did that go? You know, I was, I was, <laughs> yeah. Um, I was, uh, you know, I was on like a pretty, I hustled a lot for maybe about five or six years when I moved to the city before, before I quit that restaurant job. It took me a while because also nobody knows what to do with a 20 something character, man, either. They're like, come back when you're 40. So I had like, uh, uh, and I'm not there yet. <laughs> I had, um, you know, it's, it's not to say that any part of this has been like a breeze for me, but, but that's all to say I was, I felt this kind of like line going for maybe two or three years after things started to pick up. And then I just stopped and it wasn't for lack of trying. And I could only get jobs that were shows out of town, which is nothing to sniff at because those were some of the greatest things I've ever worked on. And some of the greatest times I've ever had getting to know people and exploring the country and things like that. But, but that's all to say, like, I thought I was headed somewhere. And then I was like, oh, we're back out of town again. And, you know, it's, it's kind of happened a couple times throughout, like, the past, I don't know, how long, uh, how long have I been doing this? Maybe, like, 10 years professionally. So it came with, like, having another helping of, uh, I don't know, humility uh, after I thought, like, things are really taken off. Did you think right on it's going and now I can, I can get that great 
you know, drug habit going, really <laughs> totally. become a colossal asshole and just, you know, get married a couple times. Yeah. At least a couple. Yeah. You definitely want to do that. Drop a couple of babies in a couple of places. Like it's important yeah, yeah, yeah. to really, really put your mark on, on, on the world that way. The Richard Burton. Yeah. um so yeah it it came it came with just experiencing it that's how i that's how i came to realize it i was like oh oh and then finding you know success in great times and 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 uh consistent work after that and being like oh we're back we're back to that part of the circle and in a couple years it's kind of dip again and how does your how does your perspective change i mean specifically after that first time where you're kind of like oh i'm i'm not working it's not happening for me right now did you, yeah. you know, did you always assume that it would come back or, you know, did you, did you start entertaining other ideas of what you might do? Maybe teaching at that point, like maybe mom yeah. in your ear, you know, telling you what you, you know, what the backup is? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. <clears throat> well, I feel like every actor has this experience where they feel like every job they have is their last. So I still have that <laughs> where I'm like, and we're done. That was fun. And now, you know, so I mean, getting through that is really just like most of the time, just like blind faith and persistence. You know, there's this funny, I think Carol Channing was on Martha Stewart like a million years ago. They introduced her and they said, ladies and gentlemen, the first woman of musical comedy, Carol Channing. She came out, everyone's clapping, going nuts. And she came out, she goes, darling, I'm not the, I'm not the first woman of musical comedy. All the others just died. <laughs> And there's something to be said for that, that kind of like persistence. Like if you hang out long enough and struggle and starve a little bit and get depressed and push through it, then eventually you can also, and that's what I'm going for. I'm hoping that one day I can be called the first lady of musical. That would be excellent. Um, <laughs> Especially with the mustache. That's a good look. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, but uh, no, but it's, it is about persistence. Like there's, there's never, and I think maybe as I get older and more, experienced or have lived just more life i come to the realization that it has nothing to do with me i used to take it very personally and be like well it's because i'm a bad actor and it's because i'm you know not funny and it's because this and that that has to do with me and it's like the older i get the more i'm like this has nothing to do with you you egomaniac (laughs) and um and and similarly like the the kind of the kind of uh getting down on myself and that that goes hand in hand with the despair of like what the hell is coming next over time has given way to a voice that is like, just hang out, just hang out. Something's coming. Something's. And like, I I believe that more than I used to, I guess. Well, you mentioned your ego when you're, when you're down and out, when you don't think you're going to work, when things aren't really, people don't seem to be recognizing the incredible talent that's before them. I mean, how do you stay in it? How do you find that within yourself uh, to stay confident and believe in yourself that way? Yeah. Well, I mean, there used to be a version of myself that would kind of like buck against it, you know, and be like, nope, we are not feeling that. We are not going there. We are great. We are fine. We are, you know, the the kind of um, active denial that that would sometimes happen for me. But there is there is this kind of like strange acceptance and or like mourning that happens that I have to like let myself go through and be like, okay, today you're not feeling great. Today is going to be hard. And you know, we're just going to do like the bare minimum things to like get through this day. Um, so, So that's all to say, like I've found help in 
just fully experiencing those feelings rather than pretending that they're not there in order to find out what's on the other side. When you find yourself with little work or with a lot of time ahead of you, you've just finished something big, let's say, and you're not really sure what the next thing's going to be. Have you considered creating your own projects? I mean, I I always think of actors as having to wait for a project to find them or for them to find a project, but you know, do you write? Do you direct? Do you produce with those? Yeah. Well, that, that kind of came with uh, saying yes to a lot of things a couple of years ago. I made like a, a web series back when everyone was making web series. And I, I like experimented with writing and even kind of producing this and sometimes directing. And I found that I didn't like it. It stressed me out. And I had too much responsibility, you know, like for a person who has made a career playing the donkey in the nativity play, <laughs> like I like to get in and get out. I don't want people looking to me in a crisis being like, well, what do we do? I'm like, I don't know. You know, I, I can't, I get more stressed than I enjoy having that much uh, responsibility. So I, I've tried, but yeah, I, I'm not a great um, producer of my own work. Although if you call me with your own project, I'm the first guy that's like, what time? <laughs> like you're saying fast. yes. You're still saying yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 I speak with a lot of, uh, of students and, you know, and all of them want to be directors and, and nobody yeah. wants to be an editor. And I'm like, do you know what the worth of a, of a fabulous editor is? I mean, you know, I, I'll even wind up talking to editors and they'll, they'll say, yeah, you know, I edit, but I really want to direct. I'm like, why? I mean, like, yeah. you know, if you wanted to, you would have. I mean, you might, obviously you can, I mean, feel free, go direct something, but right. you know, don't downplay the incredible importance it is to be that third storyteller in that chain from writer to director yeah. to, to editor, you know, it, 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 or for that matter to be, nobody wanted to be a producer. Everybody, you know, wanted to be the director of their, of their film project. And I'm like, right. Nobody wants to be in charge. Really? Right. Cause you all yeah. think the director's right. It's the producer that's in charge. That's yeah. who's calling the shots. So if you want to be the boss. You be the producer, yeah. And it, and it's just interesting that people have very different takes on it, and and, and they they romanticize a certain thing totally. And then sometimes they realize, you know what? I'm pretty darn happy being the donkey. Yeah, totally. I'm a good donkey. It's like me in my me in my twenties wanting to be a leading man, and I was like, oh, actually, I think I'm good. Yeah. How was that? I mean, it's difficult being an actor. Being an actor in today's day and age is such a visual thing. Everybody's got six and eight and twenty one pack abs. It's absurd. Yeah. And as a guy that isn't that. I mean, I'm not a guy like that. You're not a guy like yeah. that. And yet you put yourself out there and you're saying that now you've come to terms with it. What was it like to not be that guy and to be standing beside that guy? Totally. Yeah. I mean, those are the people that I saw getting like a lot of attention, like in terms of like casting in, in shows and things like that in school. And I was always getting the bit part, which like, you know, I begrudgingly took and was like, yeah, geez. And, you know, it just kind of like messes with your self image. And then also we have like, we had, we had a, a, like a showcase our senior year where we like presented here in New York and then in uh, Los Angeles for potential agents and casting directors and stuff. And I saw those people get a lot of attention then too. And I was like, Oh, this was a bad idea. This is a bad idea. <laughs> Gotta get out of here. Um, so, so I've really, I, I have, struggled with it for sure. Like feeling less about myself because I am not a leading man type, but I've also, I mean, now as a 37 year old man, like I, that's a part of myself that I really love. I really have come to love and see the value in it. And it's something that I enjoy. And I realize now I'm like, Oh, I I don't want any of that. I don't want any of that at all. 
<clears throat> when I was 20, I was doing this play called The Front Page. How old was I? I was like 22, 23. And Richard Kind was in this play. We were in Western Massachusetts, out in the provinces, doing this play called The Front Page. And he kind of like took me under his wing. And, you know, as he's, a, he's also a character man. And he used to just like pick on me and haze me in a very like playful way. It was never like dangerous or uh, insulting, but he did say to me once before we, before we closed, he said, Greggy, he used to call me Greggy. He's like, Greggy, <laughs> if you ever lose any weight, you'll never work. <laughs> and I said, Richard, you too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he speaks from a play, but he knows, I mean, that he was never, yeah. he was never going to be, I mean, he's had an excellent career. In fact, it's only yeah. gotten better and better. It's like he grew totally. into all of these characters that became available and became much more important and integral to the shows that he was in. Yeah. 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 And now he comes to see things. He saw me do a show in New Jersey a couple of years ago. And he's like, that's the part I would have played a couple of years ago. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you got that part. I would have played that. That would have been me. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I always think you're going to grow into the good role. You know, that's yeah. why you may think, you know, I know a lot of actors always go, Oh my God, I'm never going to work again. But I always think that, Oh, you're just going to get better. I mean, you, what you learn yeah. from this past role, what you're going to take to the next one. The opportunity is the hard thing, and that's why you got to stay sharp. Totally. Well, I remember too, like in my our senior year in school, um, we had this like auditioning class, and they used to hold these mock auditions, and at the end of every class, two people were cast, and then at the end, it was such a it was such a mindfuck for young twenty year olds, but. I remember that teacher before we, like right before we graduated, she was like, when you're 40, you'll work. And I remember feeling like that was a death sentence. And so like, honestly, anything that's happened now between 10 years ago and now is a miracle because I was told this wasn't even going to happen. But that's interesting because I think a lot of people go through school and they are told they'll never work, period. They don't have the look. They right. don't, maybe they don't have the talent. Maybe they don't. They, somebody thinks they don't have that special, you know, it factor. Yeah. But they're the people that listen to that and then they go and become insurance salesmen and whatever else that they do, like, you know, dental technicians, which we need, which is great. But like, you know, the people that are truly think that this is their calling, they tough it out for that 20 yeah. years until you can get to 40. And then, and then all of a sudden, you know, maybe they they hit their windfall. It doesn't happen yeah. to everybody, obviously, but I'm curious about something about school. Tell me about school a little bit, because a lot of folks don't wind up going a school route or think of school as being, uh, you know, even a worthwhile thing as, as they go through. Like, did you, did you find it a beneficial, uh, stop along the way in terms of your, your skills and your talents? Totally. It was hugely beneficial for me only because I had no skills or talent. And the, I mean, maybe I had like, I had like some raw, raw talent, talent, but I, yeah, I didn't have like, um, technique or, or a skill. It was always stabbing in the dark and sometimes continues to be. So I went to Boston university, uh, college of fine arts and it is a classical theater program. And, and going into that, I had, you know, done just musicals my whole life and was just like a big musical theater guy because that's all there was. And I had auditioned at a bunch of different musical theater schools and only got into one other one and got into BU, which was like a straight acting program. And they were like, they sold me on, aside from giving me a very nice scholarship, um, they sold me on, uh, they were like, listen, anyone can sing, man. Like, if you come here, we'll teach you how to be an actor. Like Rex Harrison and Zero Mostel have careers. They're terrible okay. singers. <laughs> but they can play a scene and they can sell a song because they're great actors. And I was like, okay, cool. And I really do feel like they... They, they lived up to their word. I also studied at the London Academy of Music and Dramatic Arts. 
which was part of BU's program. I went there for my junior year. Um, but we did all the classics in London, studied Shakespeare. And, you know, as I said, it was like hugely Stanislavski based. So like uh, a lot of Chekhov and a, a lot of like modern dramas as well. Um, but that, that's all to say that my head was blown open because all I knew going in there was Bye Bye Birdie. And so I was like, whoa, like other (laughs) classmates like were kind of like savvier than me going. I was like the, they were like, Oh God, the musical theater guy. (laughs) Um, And I just knew nothing. And I was like such a sponge and I was so hungry for it. And it was so fascinating to me that yeah, school was hugely beneficial for me. And there's, there is a big divide between the, the musical theater actors and the more traditional non-musical theater actors. Yeah, I mean, do you cross over? I do early a year ago, I was doing a Tennessee Williams play on Broadway called the Rose Ted. And before that, I did this adaptation of the three sisters called Moscow, 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 Moscow. How many Moscow's is that? There are six. Did I say six Moscow? Three sisters, six Moscow's. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, I do kind of go back and forth once in a while, but then I'll also do a big old splashy musical, which is fun because, because I feel like if I had gone to a musical theater conservatory, I wouldn't have those other skills. Actually. I feel like, because of my training, I, I've got a bunch of tools in my toolbox. And you can apply some to, you know, there's there's crossover too, there's cross-pollination. I'm curious about when you got to town, how were you marketing yourself? How were you getting people to take notice? I mean, I know you were probably going to every open audition, but I mean, how do you even find out about these things? Right. I, I really, I wasn't thinking about that. <laughs> I, I was trying to make my rent. No, but truly. And I, I tell kids that too, that are like, that's another piece of great advice. I was like, if you move to a new city, I was like, it's, it's important to don't think about acting when you first move to a city, get us a, a nice apartment that you can afford. That is cozy. Find out where you do your laundry, find out where your coffee shop is. You like to go to maybe find a nice bar. You can get a beer at where, know where the train is, know where the bus is. If, if the train is down, like, familiarize yourself with your surroundings in the first six months of moving anywhere and don't go to a fucking audition. Um, (laughs) I just didn't have the bandwidth either. I was like, Whoa, I, you know, had lived in Boston my whole life and you know, Boston's a city, but it's not like here at all. So it was really kind of culture shock, but I was also fortunate enough to, I I had this kind of built in community even before I moved here, uh, I had done three seasons at the Williamstown Theater Festival, which is this uh, theater festival I was talking about in Western Massachusetts. And I went there right out of school for a couple of months and did like summer stock. And it was all people from New York. And this was before I even lived in New York. And so that's when I started to, I mean, I always knew I wanted to move to New York, but I just didn't know when, cause I was broke. I was like, as soon as I, there's enough money, I'm going to move to New York. I, went, I moved after I graduated, I moved back in with my parents and lived there for a year and worked at Starbucks and like hustle. And so I I was lucky enough to kind of set up this community before I even lived here. So I I had all of these contacts in New York that worked in the theater that were already here when I got here. One of whom my friend Danny got me the restaurant job that I worked for five years on. So it really was, can I say something controversial? I never went to an open call. Wow. I've never heard an actor say that. Not because I'm above it. I'm certainly not. I just was going to my day job in the morning. So I like came up by the grace of this community I had started to create and this network I started to build in Western Massachusetts of people who lived here. One of which 
is or was Alex Timbers. Alex is still alive, but I'm talking about past tense. Uh, he's still with us. He's one of my dear friends. But he is a director. He directed Moulin Rouge this past season. He's directed Beetlejuice, the musical. And he was the one who formally invited me to move to New York when we were out in Western Massachusetts, my second summer there. And he was like, I've got a play at St. Anne's Warehouse in Brooklyn that I would love you to be in. Do you, do you want to come to New York? And I was like, yeah, I was thinking about it. And he was like, great, come and do this play. And if you love it, you can stay. And if you hate it, you can leave. And so I came and I moved here and I loved it and I stayed and I've been in like seven shows with Alex. I, my Broadway debut was an Alex Timbers show. Um, I've done two shows on Broadway with Alex. That, that's all to say, I don't know, the reason that I've been lucky enough not to go to an open call. And that's what I try to tell other people too, is I'm like, that's not the only way in, you know, like I did enough shows in basements that people started to be like that guy again. <laughs> <laughs> How do you get in my basement? <laughs> yeah, I came in the I I came in the side door. I think so. There's no good segue to this, so I'm just going to do it. You love cats. I love cats. Not the musical, maybe the musical, but you love actual physical cats. Yeah, you have two cats. I have two cats. You want to see? Yeah, that's very cute. Just small lump of cat. The other, one's, I don't know she, the other one is slightly <laughs> invisible. But you don't just like cats. You draw cats. You draw pets. I draw pets. I'm outing you as a pet drawer, a, a pet artist. What is <laughs> little darling pet portraits on Instagram? Yeah. Go find yeah. them. Who, who, when did you start drawing pets? I, this is ridiculous. This is the best. This is the best Instagram account ever. The, the, That's so sweet. It's, it's um, all pets. It's just ridiculous <laughs> dogs, dog portraits and cat portraits. I'm just trying to make this really clear for whoever's listening. There's one. There's one guinea pig on there. I have painted a guinea pig. I haven't pig. seen the guinea pig. I see. Ooh, there's one with two dogs. There's one with a dog and a cat. There are literally hundreds of portraits of dogs <laughs> and cats. I love this. If you're ever feeling sad or depressed, go to <laughs> Little Darling's Pet Portraits on Instagram, and you'll be happy. Do it. You can order. You can commission a piece. You, you you actually accept commissions of pets. Other of of like, do they send you their pictures of their pets and then you draw the pet? Yes, that is insane. I'm I'm now I need to get a pet on. just so I can get a commission. Yeah. What's funny? Your sister Casey early on in the pandemic was like, "I'd love you to draw um and I was like, <laughs> "Okay," I was like, "That's not." I was like, "That's not really in my skill set," and I was like, "I will try," and I did it. And it was terrible. And he's a beautiful child. And what I did was horrible. More of a Picasso type of an effort, was it? I'm sticking to it. No, it was even worse. Picasso is skilled. Um, this was mayhem. Uh, so that's all to say I've stuck with dogs and cats. It's funny, in March, when everything shut down, as I said, I was in previews for this show. And I was sitting at a kitchen table with my girlfriend. And she was like, and I was just like on the verge of, losing my goddamn mind as i have been since mark and she was like what do you need what do you need what's gonna what do, what do you need and i was like paints <laughs> i need watercolors <laughs> and sure enough she like overnighted watercolors and watercolor paper and brushes <clears throat> and i just sat there she works from home so it was like her and i staring at each other all day it still is but i just started painting i started painting my own cats i also am a <clears throat> i'm a plant fanatic I have lots of houseplants. Do you have another Instagram account where you just 
paint. I plants. should. You can just follow my regular one. Yeah. For that. There's the cacti <laughs> collection over there in the window. These there are lovely there. plants. You just like foliage. Totally. Yeah. The tree is. That's a real tree, but it's dead. Um, <laughs> that's a Christmas tree I'm referring to. Uh, so, so I started just painting my cats and plants around and just posting them. Just because I was like losing my mind. And then friends started asking me, will you draw this pet? Will you draw my dog? Will you draw? I was like, yeah, sure. Absolutely. Ooh, started doing that. Started popping the mail, got a stack of like big envelopes and just started taking great pleasure in pa- painting people's pets and sending paper mail. And, um, <laughs> and then I just one day was like, started to get bored with it. And I just, on my own personal Instagram, I was like starting to take commissions who wants their pet painted 20 bucks. And people just started messing strangers. Great. What's your address? Great. Sending out more paper mail. This thing is kind of like taken off since March. And I have always, my grandmother was a visual, visual artist. I've always liked to paint, but probably haven't like painted seriously since high school. And it's been deeply therapeutic and a great place to put my manic energy. Little Darlings Pet Portraits. You can email me commissions at littledarlingspetportraits at gmail.com. <laughs> The price is now $35. It's going up, people. Get in. Get in Get now. In it's going to go up forward. to 50 soon. Oh, my God. It's so excellent. And I love that. I, am I crazy? Do you put the, the paint brushes on each one as well, like with the colors that you're using? And the, Oh, my God. It's so oh, yeah. Oh, I love it. I think it's all there. I'm, I'm, I'm going to get one of these. I'm going to get one of my, uh, my in-law's dog. It's a little schnauzer. Right. Do you do schnauzers? Not yet, but I will. All right. First schnauzer. First, you know. You're Absolutely, sir. Can do. Oh my God. This is going to be the best Etsy store ever. <laughs> Tell me where can people find out more about you? Uh, you can go to my Instagram, uh, which is the only social media I have anymore, which is just uh, at Greg underscore Hildreth. I think there's an underscore. Yeah. Yeah. There's an underscore. Like, I don't know. There is. Okay, great. At Greg underscore Hildreth. I am not on Twitter anymore. And I don't have a website. I'm off the grid, man. Yeah. <laughs> Just on the gram. Off the grid. On the gram. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and of course, you know, don't forget people. Little Darlings Pet Portraits on Instagram. That's also where you can find Greg and you can get some of his fabulous pet art. For cheap. <laughs> well, I can't thank you enough for being on the show and sharing with us how you make a living. Thanks for having me. Subscribe to Making a Living Show on Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, and pretty much anywhere else you get your podcasts. For more on the show, visit makingalivingshow.com and follow along on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Making a Living Show is produced by Next Exit Media and hosted by me, Roby Levy. Thanks for listening.